0: Welcome to Firefly Ignite, where we believe that one story can ignite the world. Today we have with us Kurt Mailer, who is the author of The Jaguar Oracle. Kurt and his wife Karen raised their family in Afghanistan and the Arabian Peninsula and are currently based in Texas he writes stories and poems with the hope that they will open up a new way for readers to discover the story they find themselves in well welcome kurt it's great to have you here welcome i'd love to talk to you about your book the jaguar oracle such a wonderfully written allegory with such vivid characters that are so easy to fall in love with. Can you tell our listeners today a little bit about it? And also, do you identify with any of the characters that you've created?
1: Well, it's it's very interesting. You'd say that I've had uh, in this book. I'll just uh, unpack it a little bit for the the re- the, the listeners. Um, the book is essentially about an animal who remembers the garden of Eden and fulfills his destiny in early 21st century South Texas. Uh, there you go. Um, and, um, uh, when I first wrote the book, I identified more with a certain character in this book. Who's this raccoon. He's kind of this little, doesn't think much of himself and he's kind of gathering little trinkets and then he meets the main character and he's sent on this special errand. But, uh, but actually, as people have read the book and talked to me about it, they identify me more with the main character who's this jaguar who kind of remembers things uh, that people have forgotten. And I think in that sense, it really is autobiographical because there is a, a deep sense in me that as individuals and even as cultures and countries and societies, we have such a high level of uh, amputation from inherited narratives, inherited truth, inherited mercy, from what's gone before us and and um and i uh, like like one of my characters says he says, you know the key to the next story is to know the first story, so there is yeah, there is a sense where uh in my personal journey um, which had a a, a beautiful and defining season in Afghanistan and then after which was this long season of disorientation and loss and confusion. There there really has been a sense of, okay, who am I? Where did I come from? Uh, wh- what has God promised in general and promised for me personally in the area of faith? Faith is all about listening, by the way. That's That's what faith is. It's a matter of listening, um, and, and so in a sense, on the personal level, I'm trying to get in touch with first things as I go on to the next season of my life. And that's, that's actually what's happening in this book is this main character is helping the other animals, uh, as he puts it, remember their names. In other words, the first song, poem, prophecy um, beautiful speech that Adam made over each animal. Uh, in the context of my book, Adam doesn't name animals with a noun. He tells a story. He tells a, he he tells a prophecy. He sings a song and the transformational moment for the animals is, is when they each remember that experience. So, yeah, I think you probably saw something I didn't see as I was, uh, writing. Um, at least at the depth that you're saying. So, yeah, you're right.
0: So tell me about your process of becoming an author. Where did this journey first begin for you?
1: Love to answer that. Well, it, it really has to, a lot to do with how other people have articulated what they've seen in me and um, and the fruit born out of my life. Uh, I think as a, as a person kind of in in typical kind of education mode, Um, had great teachers both in public and private expressions of education here in the States and really have a lot to thank for them. Um, Then in college, um, whereas I started college ambitiously aspiring to major in archaeology, it didn't take long before that quickly switched to journalism. I took an introductory journalism class. And uh, the head of the department had been a foreign correspondent with the Associated Press. He had covered uh, the JFK assassination, the building of the Berlin Wall, Watergate. He had, he had been on the front row seat of history. And the, the relevance of being at the crossroads of history and humanity really motivated me. And so that background of being well-educated with great teachers in words kind of connected with this this desire to be at the crossroads of where people are. Um, uh, specifically, there was a West African Associated Press foreign correspondent who poured a lot into me, humbled my pretensions, uh, built into me from the inside out a lot, and uh, along with other professors and teachers. Um, and so there was that, that part. Then in terms of friendships, I just had people saying things like, Kurt, you're a wordsmith, there's, there's, there's power or I suppose to use a spiritual term, there's grace with your words. There's a disproportionate effect that your words seem to have on people. So there was that inner affirmation uh, heart to heart from people I loved and trusted, along with that inspiration of people who had written. Um, you'll, you'll notice that my journey, this kind of public-private school journey of how to write well, p- plus the college journey of, of writing, really was more on the journalistic side. So... So that's where it that's where it primarily poured out. Although I dabbled in creative writing, uh, children's stories in the early 90s, my heart was more to observe and articulate and document what was happening in real time. Uh, so I can talk about it later, but as we moved overseas, Afghanistan and the Middle East uh, and other countries, there was a natural momentum from what I've just explained that kind of naturally poured into writing what was happening. And it was life-giving for me, and it and it brought a, a great reception or a great response uh, as being life-giving for the readers as well. So that, of course, you know, I, I've never read a meta writer who said um, I get too much encouragement. <laughs> uh, quite the opposite, right? So you 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 feed off of people's encouragement, and I really fed off of that overseas. And so, whereas my role in everyday life was not usually writing. Because there was such a life-giving enigma to writing, um, both for myself and others, I really poured myself into it, more in the form of essays, anecdotes, uh, just capturing stories and capturing my own experience and that of my family and those around me. And so those things really built into me this foundation, I think you could say, for uh, really, for lack of a better term, can, can only be described as a spiritual encounter, basically an, an experience where I was taken out of my footing and, and introduced to the power of poetry and fiction as, for, for all the irony of what I'm about to say, as a, a great way to explore the truth and explore truth and love. You know, it's, it's ironic that how fiction, which is something that's not true on the technical flat uh, sense of that definition, can actually be in, in many ways um, uh, the best way to explore truth and love and life and everything else that comes out of that root. And, um, and so really it was, it was not until 2010 that this sense of being uh, a, an author in the creative sense an author in the poetic sense really actually became the root out of which everything, including journalistic essays, which I continue to write, uh, started to flow. Um, And, and that, that, I mean, (laughs) uh, people joke that who know me that I I allude to Lord of the Rings all the time. I didn't read that stuff till I was in my, my early forties. I mean, or mid forties, I lose count. I wasn't a geek for fantasy novels or, or that kind of thing it was it was really more of an unfolding, having lived overseas, having seen the power of the story, the power of the parable, the power of the tale in most uh, cultures and countries um, that that really reinforced for me, uh, like I said, with this kind of experience that took me out of my footing, that that uh, this wasn't just a hobby, this was stewardship. And so all that set me up for. Uh, the ordeal, I should say, thinking about Native American uh, expressions or definitions of that term, the ordeal of exploring and living out what that means to be an author.
0: You know, I find that actually really encouraging that a lot of your journey in choosing to follow this was a result of others calling out what they saw in you, and you Paying attention to that and listening to it and not just ignoring it, but recognizing that what they were saying actually really resonated with who you were. So did you ever have to give yourself permission to actually pursue this wholeheartedly?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, giving permission. Yes, it uh... I found myself saying this phrase, uh, kind of in the previous question. It really, it really moved from a sense of, hey, this is a talent, this is a hobby, this is a a a passion, one of several passions. You know, kind of like people might say, I have a passion for cooking or a passion for chess or, <laughs> or whatever. Um, but it, it it shifted to a sense of uh, a trust. I've been entrusted with something that I'm stewarding and And I would be not just untrue to myself, but I would be doing a disservice to other people if I didn't steward this this gift, this desire, this skill of writing. Um, really, it, it it falls more in the category of what some people would call calling. You know that word vocation, I mean comes from the Latin word which uh, the root of which is voice. And so there's this sense of responding to what is inside of me. And so it, it, although it never abandons the, the element of self-expression and becoming who I really am, that actually kind of blurs into a bigger picture of this is my contribution to, uh, to people, to what is in the bigger scheme of things. And, and that's actually, that actually frees me up from some of the angst of am I going to make it, am I going to be the top You know, New York Times bestseller or whatever It actually frees me up to be a better writer, I think, when I think of it more as this trust. What's another thing, and I'll digress here for a moment because it came to mind as you were talking, Lauren. uh, Another thing that's really freed me up is looking at some of the great authors of the past. You have um, Dante of Italy. You have John Milton, who was actually blind when he wrote his epic, Paradise Lost, totally blind. Um, You have Ferducy, who wrote the great uh, this huge, great epic in Persian. Uh, you know these men came, and, and really even when I think of the poet as Sappho, anyway, I'll stop going on and on about people. but the, there's such a context of of um, of actually the suffering and the disappointments and the hardships of life that 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 great writers actually uh, allow to inform them rather than block and defeat them. And so, that, again, I'm not saying I'm a Dante or a Milton, but, but their lives and and the major disappointments in their lives and how those things actually became servants to their skills and, and, and giftings, that's actually brought me a lot of comfort uh, as I've tried to explore my own writing. Uh, and, and, it, and it reinforces what you said, Lauren, about... Um, uh, writing at one level, it is a work ethic, you know, it is. Um, I remember once somebody told me, see all those Rembrandt masterpieces? You're looking at a work ethic. A guy who got up every day and he worked. It is a work ethic, but it's also an unfolding in that context of being faithful little by little, day by day, The day by day, that, um, that the whole experience of life can actually color and inform. And... Um, and all the both both the sorrows and the joys become servants to great writing.
0: I have loved listening to this journey that you've had to take in your process of evolving as a writer and it's taken time and it's taken a lot of courage it's taken people speaking into this gift that you have as well as the authors and poets that you've just read that have helped you develop your own style. And I'm sure this has not been an easy road, even though it's been fulfilling on one level because you're doing what you know you're meant to do. But I just want to hear from you, how has your experience in life, and in particular, some of the difficulties and disappointments that you've faced, how have those things Shaped your writing,
1: that's a great question. I hope I can give you a sterling answer that weaves together all the fibers of it. Um, I think my answer will make the most sense if I talk a little bit about Afghanistan and the middle east so uh so though my i mean my my background is typical American suburbia, although uh, there's just foreshadowing in my life of what was happening a, uh, ahead of time. Uh, I grew up with some Flags of the Nations on my walls that my dad had put up. My grandma gave me a globe when I was four. So I was just always thinking about the nations and cultures of the world. Um, I'd call that an inheritance. Uh, uh, Triple majored in college, got a master's in journalism. I was either going to be a diplomat or a foreign correspondent. You know, that was kind of my ambition to be in the middle of things um, but there was this real paradigm shift related to self-giving love, uh, uh, this, this, this idea that Jesus says, where he says, he who seeks to save and control and kind of lock down his life will lose it, but he who seeks to give it away will find it. Um, and that, that wake up, that awakening really aligned with a community of people who were trying to live out obedience to Jesus, and kind of that journey of what I call that journey from awkward to awesome. And that, that, that basically created a unique coherence of this desire to have an international life uh, integrated with great friends and a supreme purpose of seeing nations transformed. So that's a mouthful, but that sets up what's going to happen. Uh, because, uh, I mean, I majored in German, I was headed to Europe. Afghanistan wasn't on my radar, but what, be, what began as a tiny mustard seed of curiosity uh, over about a five, six, five-year process really took over as a sense of destiny uh, after having explored the country several times, lived there for kind of test periods. Uh, it was clear that my wife, Karen, and I should live there and, um, and learn from those who'd gone before us and become Afghan uh, insofar as a foreigner could become, learning the language, adapting to their culture and their customs, and enjoying the beauty that still existed, uh, notwithstanding the brokenness of a context of civil war. And so for all the irony of what I'm about to say, it was still true. Uh, the, the season, the 11-year season that my family lived in Afghanistan, I mean, my, my kids consider Afghanistan home. Two of my children were born there, one in Pakistan. Um, it, it is a season Again, notwithstanding Civil War bruises and the loss of life and property, it was a beautiful season of seeing the creativity of God and the creativity of love and the creativity of courage in severely broken and limited contexts. And so, um, I mean, like I said before, for all the ruins of the culture, there was such beauty that was still a bridge to eternal truth, eternal energy, eternal life, really. Uh, There's a lot I could say there, but I'll just leave it at that to say that um, it was a beautiful season of having walked by faith. And for me, again, faith is a listening. It's a process of listening and then courageously responding to what you're listening to. That's kind of a generic definition for faith. Having done that uh, and then having uh, lived in a context, uh, doing community development, uh, leadership development, management development, apprenticeships, uh, administrating, uh, educational and medical initiatives. In that context of serving, um, there was not only a beautiful experience for my children, a beautiful experience with the uh, even the plants and animals, not just the culture and the people. Again, it's hard to explain. There was such an experience of beauty in the context of brokenness. I think I'll digress and talk about Solzhenitsyn for a second in his Nobel Peace Prize address, Solzhenitsyn. he was a Solzhenitsyn, rather. He was a, a, a Russian dissident in the communist era. He said he said, uh, and he's quoting one of the Russian greats uh, in, in literature, he says, um, you know, if if a country manages to sh- to chop down the tree of goodness and the tree of truth." The tree of beauty will grow up and its roots and branches will do the work of all three goodness, truth, and beauty. And that, in a very generalized, summarized way, is what we saw in Afghanistan. My children loved it. My wife, who's uh, Karen, she's a wonderful woman, she, a uh, social work by, worker by background, had this network of relief and development and business investment for women and for the poor. Uh, the norms of my family were being in this multicultural, uh, complicated world where we where we saw by the contrast of the darkness the light of love. The other thing I want to say about this period of time in Afghanistan before I get to the disappointment side, is that's where the power of story came alive. As a foreigner, I'm speaking their language, but I'm a foreigner. I'm nowhere fluent. Nowhere, you know, I didn't grow up there. I don't have the nuances, the accent. But I saw that in the simplicity of parables, that um, that, this, that this, the story became, in a sense, another person. I was telling the story, the Afghans were listening, the story was, in a sense, a living thing. And we were both looking at this story, my role was just to give it a voice, and the story would, by its nature, connect with the nature of a person, which is to listen and identify where they are in the story, who they are in the story, and then what kind of response that needs to elicit. I saw it all the time. I saw it even when Afghans would say, why are you here? We are so broken. It's a civil war. Why are you here? And I tell this very simple parable about two almonds. Almonds are kind of a snack food in Afghanistan, one that wanted to be sugar-coated and remain in the silver tray, one that wanted to just go under the ground in the garden, come what may. And I would tell this parable, and without even getting to the end of it, they would realize, oh, you're that second almond, aren't you? You're, you're giving it away here because you know the fruit. You know, I wouldn't even have to explain you know, or analyze. They would experience the story, experience the answer. And it, 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 it was better than giving them some philosophical, logical you know, humanitarian explanation. the story was the encounter, and that was the answer and i and, and it was in every topic of life, including things of the heart. Uh, I saw it all the time. I saw uh, people stop for stories and take them seriously, so that that season of serving others and speaking stories uh Coming from this lifestyle of simplicity, humility, and prayer, um, really was a beautiful season. The disappointment, the kind of the turning point of life, I suppose. Uh, again, I, I I'm not Dante or Milton, but there there's a faint parallel here in the sense of like the. Things really went wrong for these great authors, and those are the things that really set them up. And this is where I get my encouragement. The turning point for my family was when we tried to move from Afghanistan to Iran. Now, for the person listening to this, I'm sure they're thinking, who is this person? Well, I'll just have to write the memoir so you can understand there is a coherent narrative that leads to these crazy stories. Let me just tell you, the U.S. government had given us permission to move there. We were initiating a nonprofit uh, business management and leadership development initiative with politically and religiously moderate Iranians there there was a there was a legal or legit platform for what we were doing though of course at the bottom at the end of the day it was just an act of faith and trust that this is what we were to do but the same process that brought us this beauty even in the midst of the bruising and brokenness of Afghanistan the this same process that brought us this beauty in Afghanistan, it, it actually did not work. And whereas what we thought would be just a quick move and, and uh, living in Iran actually turned into a five-year period of meandering where eventually we couldn't even live overseas anymore. We had to live in Kuwait and then ultimately the U.S. We moved seven times in nine years, uh, went five digits in debt. Uh, my kids were, went through six different forms of schooling. We lost some key friendships, just had some misses in, uh, uh, friendships and leadership. And, and so there was this, this, uh, disillusionment process, uh, this sense of having the price tag switched. this process of, uh, Hey, it worked the first time and it brought beauty. The second time it brought a sense of betrayal and, um, uh, living in the U.S. was, I mean, we're from America. We we are thankful for our country, but it wasn't where our sense of identity, relevance, and family was, notwithstanding our natural family. We love our our, our relatives. I don't mean it that way, but our sense of belonging and tribe was overseas. And so this sense of being uh, disconnected, disoriented, irrelevant, uh, disappointed, um, uh, really, uh was profound, and um, and um, it 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 brought me to this place as I held on to hope as because I, I knew intuitively okay I I know bitterness and uh, uh, hardness of heart can't be the outcome here the outcome has to do with laughter this has got to be again I'm, I'm compressing all kinds of things here Lauren but. But in this journey, I, I concluded okay, this has got to be only halfway through the story, because every good story goes wrong in the middle. Every and so the longer it goes, to, to use bad grammar here, <laughs> the longer it goes, the better this outcome has to be. I mean, thinking about my life as a meta narrative, I guess you could say. You know, um, but there's got to be, there's this has only got to be halfway through. Um, and really, there was this discovery that the deeper the disappointment, the, the more beautiful the outcome was going to be, as, as really, in essence, I encountered the creativity of the one who had created me. And and that's what I've seen. My time in Kuwait uh, introduced me to academia. I've, I've had some experience in academia now. My time in Kuwait introduced me to all kinds of nations, including North Korea. Um, it, didn't, it wasn't an... an uh, uh, a, a loss. It was an expansion. And then when we moved to the States, I can honestly say even here in Houston, where I live now, in the most, one of the most international cities in the U.S., um, I've, I've had opportunities to go to many places uh, be, besides the Iran that my wife and I love and the Afghanistan that my wife and I and our children love. And so what I've seen is the limitations and the losses have actually caused us to gain uh, great relationships, great experiences, uh, provided that we haven't lost heart. So the whole journey of disappointment has been a wrestling match to not lose heart and really to hold on to the assumption that at the core of all things is self-giving love. I mean, really, if at the heart of all things, there isn't a good motive if 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 the Creator, if God, if the if if at the heart of all things there there's not someone who's for me, well then all I'm left with is existential despair and courage, and I'm going to go down the best way I can, and I just can't go there because I've seen too much goodness to believe that it's that way, and so all that to say, um, you know that 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 whole journey parallels this this kind of breakthrough moment in 2010 where what Tolkien and Lewis would call mythopoetry became something that I was really fascinated in. Um, and, and that's where my, my writing shifted from primarily essays and articles and kind of journalistic genre to more the poetry and the creativity. Um, yeah, I think it's interesting. I'll digress to Tolkien for a moment. He would not consider himself the best of the writers he grew up with. His peers, who all went into the First World War, uh, were in that same genre, you know, writing notes to each other in Greek and Latin and, you know, quoting Anglo-Saxon, you know, Beowulf or whatever. Uh, and he, he lost the majority of his close friends in that war. Um, but it was in the context of that great loss that he picked up that inheritance of creative writing and let the sorrows deepen it. And when you know that and you read The Lord of the Rings, you're like, okay, all right. Uh, it seems like hope is at the edge of dying every page here, and yet it doesn't. And, and that was his journey. So I don't know if I'm fully answering the question. You might want to get me back on course here, Lauren. But uh, they, the, that disappointment had within it an actual experience. Expansion of experiences and people, and really a deepening of of just wisdom and insight into how to write, how to make something digestible and beautiful to the most people. Uh, One one thing I've learned is a sense of irrelevance. How should I say it? How should I say it? I want to be as relevant as I can to as many people as possible. how much more relevant can I be when I go through pain and disappointment? That's something everybody has in common. That actually connects me with the broader spectrum of people than if I were just able to write a book, you know, how I became successful in five easy steps, five irreproducible easy steps. Um, so i think I think that kind of summarizes up in a general way how disappointment informed uh, the writing and 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 yeah it it really pours into this project also of the jaguar oracle the name of the project
0: Kurt thank you so much for sharing with us this journey of yours your writing journey the emotional journey that you've been on and i love how you phrased it that there is always such beauty and brokenness that are mixed together But as you have walked through a very difficult time in your life, now as you're coming out the other side of it, there's this sympathy with humanity that perhaps wasn't as deep as it was before. And this perspective that you now have, this hope and life and light that you have both in your own life as well as for others that you can impart to because of what you've walked through. So thank you again.
1: Thanks. I'll I'll digress just for a moment. It's it's it it's not only been a sentiment that there's something, uh, but there there's this substantive evidence of. Uh, uh, I think I mentioned before, just a spectrum of people from different countries, actual experiences in different countries, and with this project itself, it. I guess we'll get back to the almond analogy here. It's 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 died in a sense several times. Uh, I. I published it, I self published it, went into debt doing that, um, didn't make the money back. That's fine. I'm in this for love and beauty. I'm not in this for money. I had to go through that purifying process. But all that to say, uh, it was others who came to me and said, We want to make this an audiobook. Um, When I mothballed my website because I couldn't afford it, uh, a friend of mine said, Hey, I will run your website. And even now, uh, this same remarkable person. He said to me, "Hey, uh, you can't find a publisher. Just show me what you how you want the website to change, and you can publish it through your website." Um, it, honestly, I, I think many writers can can identify with that sense of high vision, low low uh, low morale, and the temptation to despair and ab- and abandon the project. And um, but but this project because it's Uh, come back from the dead, so to speak. It's like a wink from the invisible world of, hey, you're supposed to do this. Only you can carry this burden, Frodo, you know? (laughs) And so those, I I would call it, I would call it in my particular uh, spiritual culture, I'd call it the wink of God, that we're only halfway through the story. And so those things do feed my sentiment, but then it's these people and the life that this project seems to animate in them to keep it going, uh, that keeps pointing to, yeah, don't, don't lose heart. You're an author. You're supposed to write. You can do this.
0: So what comes after the Jaguar Oracle? Is there more to come?
1: Oh, I'd love to talk about it. Yeah. So it's, um, uh, COVID has served me well in the sense of, uh, uh, shutting down a lot of busyness so that I can devote myself to this book. Um, it, it uh, 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 you know, if I would have been wise, I would have started with uh, a series of short stories, but no, I came out of the gate trying to write a giant novel. So we've had to learn a lot the hard way, but it's going to work out. The final story, I would say, would be close to 200,000 words, 60-something 50, uh, 60-something chapters. Um, anyway, all that to say, I I, uh, uh, I actually saw the end of the story from the beginning when the thought first came to me years ago, and I uh, I guess you could call it mind-mapped it out. I took a piece of paper and a pencil, put the main character, drew a little jaguar, and then just spidered out different elements of the story, characters. So yeah, there's a the next 17 chapters are readable. I'm happy to give you a pre read, Lauren, if you'd like. For me, it's probably the typical uh, challenge of aspiring authors. First of all, there's the practicalities of providing for life for myself and my family. Second of all, uh, because I'm not world famous and don't have uh, 8,000 followers on Instagram. There's kind of the marketing and reach side of things if I try to go uh, the self-publishing route, which is more accessible than ever to more people than ever. Uh, 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 And then also with the traditional, excuse me, uh, also with the traditional publishing route, uh, yeah, I'm just not connected. So I think for me, what I plan to do is um, with the website that I have through the gracious help of friends, I plan to publish this next uh i I plan to republish from the beginning on my website uh you know uh e-reader type epub type documents and then introduce the second portion of the story um it could be a trilogy uh I've, i've kind of set it up that way um the challenge for me as an author is um it doesn't necessarily have a, the exact amount of words in each section of the uh, of the story. So I've just got some technical challenges. I think it's interesting, Tolkien did not write The Lord of the Rings as a trilogy. He wrote it as one big story. It was the publisher who said, first of all, we need to turn this into three books. Second of all, we need some hobbits in here. So he, actually Tolkien didn't, he he thought of this story as something parallel to The Hobbits. It was the publisher who said, I need some hobbits, which I think, again, that's a digression. Uh, but but it, it, it does feed into my own uh, challenge, which I think is just typical for writers, and that is um, how to best present this to the readers in a way that's most digestible. Um, so it, it would play out naturally, I think, in a trilogy. There's three main parts of the story. Uh, so we'll see how that goes.
0: I've just loved hearing your story and the stories that you have written. And for everyone else listening, where can people find you online, Kurt?
1: Well, it's a humble beginning, but they can go to KurtMailer.com, K U R T M A H L E R.com. And um, I occasionally blog and post poetry there. There's also a page there about the, 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 the writing project, uh, the Jaguar Oracle. Um, and um, the plan is in the fall to, to reintroduce what amounts to book one and book two in e-reading you know, digital formats just to get it out there.
0: Thank you, Kurt. It's been so great to have you join us today.
1: You are welcome.
0: And to all our listeners, I hope that you enjoyed this episode. If you liked it, please subscribe and share, and we will see you soon.